Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Talk Architecture. And in today's episode, it is sort of a buffer between what we've discussed in the recent previous episodes and something that we would need to discuss more as it is to do with architecture practice and the current state of architecture globally. Whatever that is happening globally will affect the um, wherever you are regionally and in the cities and towns and you as an architect practicing in one way or another. The knowledge is out there and the influence that is out there and especially with bigger companies um, running architecture practices or multidisciplinary practices is undeniable. Now, I found an article here, um, though it's five years ago, in Architizer, about the 10 challenges faced by every architect. It's still, I think, relevant because as someone who is doing research regarding architects who are about six years to 10 years experience, I find out, oh, I found out that BIM specialists or architects that say they are BIM uh, professionals seems to be flourishing overseas. And um, I've also joined the group in LinkedIn and um to be honest, I don't know how to do anything to do with computational architecture or digital architecture. But I'm someone who needs to know about these things because I comment about these things. So I'm being very frank in what I should be doing. So the criticism I, that comes from me is from someone who has been teaching um for 28 years, so I have a certain angle to discuss this. Now, these are the following changes um, that is found in this artic- article, which I think with my research on um, young architects, or junior architects, or mid-level architects, um, I find them relevant because uh, it also... Um, seems to be um, reverberating or um, being discussed elsewhere individually. So the first one is finding new work and sustaining an income. Second is arguing for good design over cheap construction. Third is battling the stereotypes. Fourth, making time for hand sketching. Fifth, finding great materials to match great designs. Sixth, bridging the generation gap. Seven, keeping up with ever-changing hardware. Eight, keeping up with the evolution of software. 
9. Grappling with politics. 10. Making time for rest and relaxation. So these are the challenges that architects go through. And um, I'll pick up the ones that I think I will be able to discuss here. This, the first one, finding new work and sustaining an income. For those who just, grad, uh, just passed their professional architecture certification, they like to venture out and have um, and practice um, and practice and, and and start out a business or startup they call it um, and how to win new clients and keep their uh, their company financially sustainable or yes just to start and be able to keep on doing the kind of work that you want to do. There are so many things here uh, where you need to network a lot and um, that's why that's a way to win new clients and some branding, perhaps some marketing. Although technically you're not encouraged to advertise yourself, but the visibility of, of what you do could bring in the business. So there's this quote here. It is often down to the perception of architects, architects as a cost rather than a valued and, and, and the profession as a whole must evolve to combat this. Um, finding new work and sustaining an income. So looking at an architect not as a value is something that is perceived by the clients. Um, architects are costly. Let's go and deploy alternative to architects, contractors, or design and build companies or senior draftsmen. And architects feel that that's unfair. Um, of course, that's to do with the smaller scale projects. And smaller scale projects have their own problems. And how to get the bigger projects is the, um, the challenge and so on. So, in this article, talk about new business models for architect of some ways to do this from combining the business of design with property development and harnessing new software to improve efficiency. Also, methods methods for earning passive income to keep your firm going through leaner times. Easier said than done. I was I would think that some architects would point that out. And um, what are these new business models? Um, perhaps we can go into that later. I'm just going through these points here, the 10 points. Arguing for, the second one, arguing for good design over cheap construction. Falling on from the first point, it is a constant challenge to be heard in an industry that often values high speed and low cost over design quality. With a growing number of developers looking to make a quick profit, it can be challenging for architects to carry their vision through value engineering and into the completed project. Architects must establish more powerful ways to illustrate how great design adds real value to the finished buildings, finished building for clients in both monetary terms and the quality of life for a building's 
occupants. With an incredible variety of mediums now available, there are more effective ways to do this than ever before. Right, um, before we go into what are those incredible variety of mediums that could resolve this challenge where um, the perception is people would go for a good design, but architects keep on arguing this, and it's just the stance of the developer or the client really, where they would know before engaging with an architect, they would know why they want to engage with an architect in the first place. And the architect, uh, depending on what they are out uh, to look for and what out to get, so um, they look at the architect's portfolio and they would say, okay, I'll go for this architect because uh, I really don't want to make any decisions. I want the architect to do so, or I want to dictate that I just want this to happen and I'm not really into good design. So, I mean, there are obviously a lot of configurations on the kind of clients out there. And um, it's not an easy thing to, to, to persist. Yeah. If you, you want a certain design to happen. I mean, we, we've been, we've been absorbing theories uh, or precedents in architecture where the architect can dictate what is good quality and they will only take clients who would would um, value them, value their good designer. I mean, there are architects out there who do that sort of practice and how they came about to be able to do that sort of practice is something else. So we can interview them one. And uh, the person I interviewed with, Kevin Martlow, seems to be someone who would stick to um, certain way of practicing uh, what is good design and arguing for that. And he was working in a big architectural company for 10 years, as I recall, and, and uh, had enough experience to actually to and also his confidence to be dealing with that but for some people that confidence after 10 years at the age of 40 the estimated age um, of how you you could be um, established is something that um, scares some people maybe is something that getting out of their comfort zone, how do they get um, to be that confident? How do they, they come to that point? It's something of a eureka moment rather than uh, you know from the very beginning that you can be that architect. I mean, I would imagine that someone interested with something, they take a day at a time, learn the ropes, learn on the job, do the do what is needed do what is needed as a spec, as what one would expect an architect to do and build that build that portfolio if you have the chance to build that portfolio i guess it's also to do with interpersonal skills emotional intelligence and other factors 
in a general way, not necessarily specific to architect's characteristic, but that general personality of someone who could uh, command or lead. It's like we discussed earlier with uh, Kevin that um, 2% of people could be like that, but what about the 98%? So some of these points here is could be you could dismiss them in a way that they are on the surface, but it, it just starts out a conversation really. It's worth finding out from from the title that I will repeat at the end of this conversation that I have with myself. Number three is battling the stereotypes. When it comes to architects, stereotypes are a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, they can provide a healthy dose of comic relief for a profession that is often accused of taking itself too seriously. You have to learn to laugh at our cliched selves once in a while. I don't really want to go into this point. There is another paragraph there. Um, I'm not going to go into this. Um, it has been talked a lot. Um, by a number of people. Uh, we're talking about um, somebody giving a quote that's from Chris Pratt, reminding us that start architects, not star architects. Okay, so this idea that architects are just wanting to be star architects and idolizing star architects, and there's a cult or some sort of veneration to do with some architects, and that is a stereotype. Or an impression that one has, whether or not it is true or not. So that's a, a, another discussion. Um, now for making time for hand sketching. I would really like this one because being someone who come from hand sketching background. What does it say about that? 2016 has been a big year for tech in professional practice with a huge number of new apps. Introduced to increase the efficiency of architectural drawing. However, as Bob Borson of Life If and Life of an Architect asserts, it's vital to keep practicing good old-fashioned sketching with pencil and paper. I haven't ever, I mean ever, personally met an architect who thought who I thought was a good designer who didn't sketch, says Borson. Maybe it's because the process process takes time time requires a person to slow down and think through what they are doing. The nature of the medium enhances the care and attention to detail we put into what we draw, making the analog approach as crucial as ever in the creative process. Never stop sketching. Well, I don't see it in any other way is uh, for those who are not really trained in hand sketching and to 
to improve the hand sketching. Where did I listen? Where did I read about someone saying that my hand sketching is poor, I need to practice it? But that person is already in practice at that time. Maybe a fresh graduate or maybe up to six years in practice and talking about improving the hand sketching. So it is a necessary tool that hasn't been done enough. However, I'm thinking that it should be a natural thing that one do at the very beginning in architecture school. That is very natural and very easily one develop hand sketching. So the school curriculum should allow hand sketching to be um, something that is being prioritized rather than secondary in uh, the design curriculum. So it will be a natural flow in terms of skills, building up the skills from hand sketching to um, using computational tool. I realized that those people who are working as computational designer, for example, I, I've seen these job titles in LinkedIn recently, a number of uh, uh, BIM manager or computational designer. Those are two different things, obviously, but the use of uh, the specialization in uh, using this digital tools um, is something that is required or there is there are jobs out there for people up for grabs or positions that one would be able to be um, get into those positions. But I could imagine that um, you also need to be very good in theory. You need to be good in hand sketch. You need to be very good in uh, in design to get those positions. It's not... This is my argument, that if you want that job, you've gone through being first degree, having a strong architectural background, then you specialize in BIM because people are transitioning from uh, CAD to BIM now. So, surely, even in CAD, when they were doing CAD, they needed to be good at drawing plans. Um, if they they were good at drawing plans, they were good at hand sketching. That's the argument. Okay, before... We're halfway through now. So, the next point is five. Finding great materials to match great designs. While many parts of an architect's job has been made infinitely easier by technology, one area that has long been a struggle has been the specification process. Finding the perfect building products and material finishes to bring a design to reality in a satisfactory way has often involved hours of trolling through cumbersome product catalogs, getting lost in Google, testing the patience of even the most calm architect. So this article 
is introducing Source, Architizer's definitive marketplace for building products. Now, one thing that this is, uh, this particular point refers to Architizer, the parent or hosting um, this article. As someone who came from hand sketching background and from drawing, uh, do working drawings manually before, uh, and also finding out what materials comfortably to explore, you set out from an early age, um, in your 20s, explore a certain way of designing a building. I mean, you, the, when you uh, start out in practice, just say you do, for the first time, a detailed design. You're doing working drawings as well. And then the architect's already set up that it's going to be stone and bricks. So you learn how to do stone and bricks, fenestration, or there is a certain rigor and a certain constructional sense where the services are going to be. And it's coming from a precedent, a way of designing, a way where the dimensions are something that you learn from your senior uh, draftsman or maybe from the architect and the part three. The part three architect that's involved in that project, also you, you learn from them. So what happens there is that you learn to design a building that is going to be built in a certain way. So what this point is trying to tell is finding great materials to match great design. I'm not sure what this point is about, actually, because um, is it coming from people who are doing several projects and different clients? Does the architecture practice have a certain design that clients like? I mean, um, those are two things. A practice that has a signature design and practice that that would that would suit whatever materials that the client wants. I mean, in my opinion, the architects have already a certain way to do the construction aspects of the architecture in terms of the plan sections and elevations. So there is certain characteristic already going on. I'm not talking about a master design. Even the signature design is something uh, something that depends in an architecture company. There are some people who will do all the brick buildings and some people do all the steel buildings. Some people do. This is quite common. Because you resolve, you will resolve that this issue here about finding great materials to match great design. So whoever is more specialized on one type of material, they could be doing that project in the architecture company. Now, this is an interesting one. Number six, number six, bridging the generation gap. 
quote unquote by architect Luke Erhard or Erhard. There is a Grand Canyon-esque divide that exists between the baby boomer and millennial generations within architecture. Current principals and firm owners have paid their dues for many years and have worked effectively, diligently, and meticulously toward truly understanding the practice of architecture. However, those hard lessons learned over time are sometimes not easily parted with or readily shared. So whether you agree with the sentiment or not, architects of all ages and experience levels must work hard to bridge the generation gap and learn from one another. While baby boomers can offer a wealth of knowledge in terms of running a firm and designing for a plethora of different clients, millennials can bring fresh skills to the table, particularly in relation to technology. Open communication can lead to Great collaboration between the whole design team. Okay, I I do experience working with millennials, uh, but my projects are not big, huge project. It's um, sometimes more of industrial design. But we do uh, do appraisals, um, and not necessarily project that are a traditional sense coming from concept to built. Working with millennials is a good thing. Um, we have to be listening to anyone who's working with us, be it millennials, and listen to their, what do you call them, um, suggestions. Every time there is a power struggle, you know, I mean, will be a standoff, you know, okay, the millennials would think that they're doing the thing, they're doing anything on the ground, they're, they're talking to clients, we are not, we're just dictating stuff. So that's why we have to be open, because at the end of the day, um, they are independent of us. I'm talking like a boomer here. So the millennials are independent of us, and we're in it together, and the criticism or the critical our critique of what's happening, we, we're not going to, to look at it. Um, we, can, we can ask questions. How, what is the dimension? And reason out why it's not working. So they will learn as well about what we understand about detailed design. So that is the benefit from working into uh, multi-generational. And I don't think it is a problem too much. It's just that if the millennial doesn't show enough information to the boomer, um, that that will make a deep sort of a sense of frustration with the boomer. If the millennial is saying something in the drawing that the boomer can't see, that to me would be the problem that I find in the architecture design studio with some students. So I didn't, I would demand or I would request, obviously, for them to redesign it and draw it in plan form or try to massage the plan more. But that's in education, in the studio. 
it is not to do with practice. So the challenge with practice is that you can do it, but you have time limitations, obviously. So you may end up, let me sketch it, and you just draw to my sketch. So that could be the, the thing that is not happening, the transfer of knowledge. Now, coming to the, the end of the session, uh, the podcast session, and I agree with the last three, number seven, keeping up with ever-changing hardware, and number eight, keeping up with the evolution of software. And here it mentioned about uh, Revit, Vectorworks, and Archicad, and notable increase in number of mobile apps for architects, and um, the transition from CAD to BIM. Uh, still, people are relying on CAD and not transitioning to BIM. And it's important. This is five years ago, so huge architecture companies have to do BIM, I, I, I reckon. So then number nine is about grappling with politics. And um, yeah, in any country, in any regions, there could be politics um, with regard to architects and their those who are critical of um, the architectural fraternity or society and so on, those things are quite common. And number 10 is making time for rest and relaxation. I would put number 10 as being mindful uh, to keep up with work-life balance, being aware that your mental health is number one because that will help with other health uh, health aspects and this balance or the the achieve to achieve this balance and being supported by your employer by your immediate boss is of paramount importance and um, it's just health really um, thinking about health and thinking about the welfare and uh, well-being and welfare of the employees and um, yes, that is the point. Those are the points that I've talked about today uh, discussing on challenges faced by every architect. A five-year-old article in conjunction with what's happening um, with the jobs that um, people are, do people are uh, doing in architecture now. And of course, regionally, country to country, you may differ, but you, you can't deny there are multidisciplinary international companies and um, many people locally would also like to be involved. Or like going to Dubai or going to uh, certain countries to, to practice, like um, in Australia or Singapore or certain cities that are uh, much more competitive and, and wanting to be in the competitive environment. Uh, those are the challenges. So thank you very much for listening to this. And I'll put down there the link to this article so you can have a read. It's just an article that's picked, that was picked from the internet because I wanted to find out what's the current state of architecture practice challenges um, and talk about it in conjunction with my research on 
um, those below 10 years of architecture practice bef- at mid-level, not the entry level, but mid-level, and getting into the pulse of what's happening. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day.